0: It's a good reminder of whose we are. And today we're going to look at identity. And if you'd turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3 and follow along with me, or I guess nowadays I should say um, go on your phone or whatever if you have your Bible there and different things. But we're going to look at that whole set of uh, that chapter. As again, the Corinthian church, as Paul is writing to them, he's reminding them who they are. And he's bringing them back to those basics um, that they're forgetting. Let me read those first 23 verses, and you can remain seated out of respect to God's word today. But listen to these words again, beginning there at verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. (laughs) According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in his age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We do pray that You'd sanctify us in this Word. Set us apart. May the truth come forward. Help us each this morning that there be something there for each of us as we go. Thank You, Jesus. Do Your work as only You can, I pray. Amen. As I thought about this and I thought about the identity of the church, I I went and started to look and see if there was some sort of thing that would give identities of suburban churches. And I couldn't find anything that gives identities of suburban churches, so I had to go back to old style and I had to go back to the country church picture of things. This is a picture of one of the churches where I came from, and both of them were out in the country. But there's, a, there's an old fun saying that you might be a country church if the call to worship goes like this. Y'all come on in, <laughs> type of thing. Or the preacher says, I'd like to ask Bubba to pray for the offering and five people stand up. Um, The opening day of deer hunting season is recognized as an official church holiday. And I'll be honest with you, the other church I served, there was a time there was only three ladies and me in church. That was the first day of deer hunting (laughs) as you go along. But you get an idea where we can get an identity with some of those Fun things along those way. This is another one. The biggest question that people have when Jesus fed the 5,000 is whether the two fish were northerns or walleyes. Gives you an idea. I'm guessing we could find something along an identity for for a suburban church along those lines. But I do want to give you some statistics today. And statistics can change over time and different things. But these statistics are for mainline churches. And I looked up some of the adaptations and putting some of the some of the numbers go with different things. But look at this. Fifty percent of people in mainline churches are not certain of their salvation. Sixty percent seldom attend church. Seventy percent give less than one percent of their income to church. Eighty percent have no ministry within the church. Eighty percent don't attend a Sunday school or a small group. And ninety percent have never been trained or disciplined or discipled. Sorry. And I checked some other numbers, whether some some people within churches, they were asked this question, mainline churches now, how do you determine right or wrong? And 67% of them said you determine right or wrong on the situation, not upon the Word of God. And this is a number that's more recent with things. 28% of those within mainline churches would say that the Word of God is not the Word of God. That's one out of every four. Now, we look at those numbers and we can see the confusion that's out there. And we can understand how with this early church in Corinth, they got caught up with a lot of different things as well. And in the first seven verses... Paul asks really a question to them. Who is anything? Who is anything? And he reminds them who they are in and of themselves. First of all, in the first five verses, he's really saying to them, we are worldly. We are fleshly <laughs> in that way. You're still controlled by the sinful nature, he tells them. And he tells them that... In that worldliness, they're building themselves on their own pride and on their own willingness and their own selfishness in the disguises that they're making up for themselves. They were talking disrespectfully of one another. They got going on the different ways and they were acting worldly. Now, none of us act worldly, do we? I had to get reminded this week that I, talked, I didn't talk very nicely to one of those telemarketers on the phone. No, that frustrates me to no end. But I get caught up and I forget that that's a real person. Even if what they're having to do isn't always the best thing. But he was reminding him how we are fleshly in that way. So Paul said, we need, we need that spiritual food. And I, I was giving you that spiritual food. I gave you milk because you couldn't handle some of the deeper stuff, but I was giving you that spiritual food. You need that spiritual food. I was reminded of the story of a soldier who was in Pearl Harbor. And on the night before they were attacked by the Japanese Imperial Fleet, he and about 12 of his buddies... Um, went to Bible study, and they were sat around in the room and the leader asked them he asked them to quote their very favorite scripture verse from memory, the scripture that meant the most to them and this guy who had gone to church all of his life began to freeze up he couldn 't remember one scripture and and they started fortunately for him, they started on the opposite side of the room, and they were coming closer to him and They were each reciting favorite verses and he panicked. And then all of a sudden he remembered a verse. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And he's like, yes! And the guy right before him quoted John 3.16. So he felt terrible because when it came to him, he said, I'm sorry, I just don't know any verses. We went home that evening spiritually whipped. He thought, here I am. I've grown up all my life in the church and I can't even remember a Scripture verse. I'm still a baby, he said. Little did he know what the next day would bring when the sirens went off. And he would go to his battle station. He said, I looked overhead and there was all the smoke over the harbor and all the Japanese planes. And he he continued on. He said, I grabbed my gun, but all we had in my gun was fake ammunition. But in panic, he said, I fired my gun at the planes for 15 minutes with that fake firing blanks. And while I was there, he said, God spoke to me. God said to me, that's exactly how your life is. Your life is full of blanks. No power, no effectiveness, no light, no salt, just blanks. And there's a real enemy around you, bombing you and shooting you. And the soldier said, he said, on the deck of that ship I looked at God and I said, if you'll let me live through this, I'll get out, I'll get out of this stage and I will begin to look at your word and to grow up so that I will no longer fire blanks in my life. Paul reminded them they needed that spiritual food. And then Paul reminds them that they are mere men. They are mere human beings. They are people. And as people, we have things that we have to work through. As people, we need the Lord. There was during a service at an old synagogue in Eastern Europe when the Shema prayer was said, half of the congregation would stand up for it and half of it would stay seated. And uh, one, the half that was seated started yelling at those that were standing. And the half that were standing started to yell back at those that were seated that they were doing it wrong. And the rabbi of the synagogue didn't know what to do. And later on, he went to one of the elderly men in the congregation, 98 years old. And he asked them, and he was one of the original founders, he asked them, "What what's, what is our... What are we supposed to do when the Shema is said? Are we supposed to stand up or are we supposed to sit down? What's the tradition? And he said, is our, is our tradition to stand up? And the old man said, no. He said, is the tradition to sit down? And the old man said, no. <laughs> and then the rabbi said to the old man, he said, well, help me. The congregants are fighting all the time, yelling at each other about what they should do. Sit or stand. And the old man interrupted and said, that's our tradition." That's a sad commentary, isn't it, sometimes? God wants us to grow in Him, but we are mere men. We forget about that aspect of things. We can easily become very partisan in the things that go on because we forget that we are of Christ. It's not that we are of Paul or we are of Apollos or we are of Peter. But we are of Christ. And those men gave things that would follow in the right direction. If you go down to verse 6, you see it said very clearly who makes things grow within the church. Who makes things grow within our hearts? It's not other people. They can be used by God. But God makes it grow. God is the one who can do those things. We can get so caught up, and even as pastors, we can get caught up in ourselves and wonder if people are listening or wonder if I'm doing the right things or all those different things that way. I'm reminded of the vicar who was retiring after 25 years in his parish and as he came to clear out his bedroom, he found a small bowl under the bed with five eggs and a $1,000 in it. And he called his wife and he said, he said, what's, what's, this, what's this basket with five eggs in it and $1,000? And she said, she said, oh, I need to confess that every time you preach a bad sermon, I put an egg in the basket. Now, he became pretty prideful at that moment. I mean, 25 years, only five eggs in the basket? So he asked about the $1,000 that were in there. And she said, well, every time I get a dozen, I sell them. (laughs) It's not about us, is it? God's Word is what was needed again here. God's the one that can make it grow. In verse 7, it's it's pretty clear there in verse 7 only God so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow In verses 8 through 17 we've looked at who is anything and we find out that it's all about God and then in, in verses 8 through 17 who are we then Who are we and Paul points these things out and he starts out there the fact that we were we are god's fellow workers paul and apollos and, and cephas we were working together and he's referring to them and he ends up referring to them as you go along in scripture we seen that we are fellow workers with them in fact i always like to bring out the fact that in scripture it says that you and i are all priests for the priesthood of all believers All of us are. We don't have to go through some person now to get to God. You don't have to come to me to get to God. (laughs) It was always kind of funny when I would go to the grocery store. I always had to expect, when I was in a smaller town like that, I had to expect to spend at least an extra half hour. Because I was going to run into somebody and I guess I could start counting it as visits or whatever at that point in time. There was always... Sometimes where people make this comment, Pastor, would you pray for me? And I was glad to pray for them. And then they would say, because you're closer to God than I am. (laughs) And I have to remind them that they had the same line that I have to God. All of us can go to Him through Jesus Christ, right? Right? In the second part of of verse 9, he says, you are God's field. They were sowing the seed. They were sowing the seed of God's Word. And he reminds them that that's, that's what needs to grow in your life. And then he says to them that you're God's building. That you're God's building. There was a man... A wealthy man who before leaving on an extended vacation said to the contractor he said, "While I'm away, I want you to build me a fine new home according to these plans." He gave him a wonderful set of plans. He said, "Be sure you work with extreme care. Be sure you use the best of everything. <laughs> Tell me the cost as soon as you have it, and I'll send you the check." He said, "Money's no matter." Well, during the process of construction, the contractor discovered many opportunities to substitute inferior materials. He put in his own pocket the money that he saved. His employer would never know the difference, and he—excuse me—he himself would gain more. So he, but he soon regretted his dishonesty, for when the wealthy man came back. And inspected the finished home. He said, you've built it exactly as I've wanted it. And I'm sure that you've used the best of everything in its construction. Now in appreciation for your long years of service to me, I'm giving you this new home. Here's the deed. Dear people, we are building for eternity. (laughs) Do we build with the inferior materials or do we... Build with the choice materials on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that the house we will have later on depends on the material we're using right now. We are God's building. By the way, you ever tried to build a house by building the house first and then the foundation last? We need that foundation first, don't we? And the foundation is clearly laid out for us here. That foundation in verse 11 is Jesus Christ. When I saw that, I couldn't help but think of that old hymn, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. That was written while there was a big controversy in England and liberalism was threatening to destroy all the doctrines, the cardinal doctrines of the Anglican church and the Man who wrote that song was a man by the name of Samuel Stone. He was a pastor. He was known as a pastor, a poor man's pastor is what they called him because he he ministered to the people in the East End of London and he created a beautiful place of worship for them, these humble folks, a center of light in the dark places that were there. And he desired to write a hymn that would reaffirm the Lordship of Christ as the foundation of the church. And so he wrote that hymn. And by the way, isn't that what a church is meant to be? The type of church that Samuel Stone had, it's meant to be a spiritual hospital for hurting humanity, isn't it? Not to be exclusive, a club, or self-righteous in the way that we do things, but we're called out from the world by God Himself. And the church consists of people who are there to worship, to be instructed, to be discipled, and to fellowship together. And Christ, after all, is our head. He's the head of the body. He's the foundation. And that foundation in verses 12-15 through is talked about is being tested by fire. We can build with all the best materials, so to speak, that the world gives us. But if we forget that foundation and we forget Jesus Christ as the center of things, or as the men sang this morning, on Christ the solid rock, if we don't build upon that, we begin to see what happens. In those ways. Um, in First Corinthians 3:11 it says, "For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, and that is Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter four, we read the verses at the beginning today where Paul or sorry, where uh, Peter and John are at the temple, and the man wants alms, he wants money, And Peter and John say, Peter says to him, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. (laughs) They healed the man, but they did it in the name of Jesus Christ. It wasn't about them. And in verse 11, he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, but he's become the cornerstone. (laughs) Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. And in Matthew 16, 13 through 17, which, or thirteen through eighteen, which was read today by by Luke, when Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Because everybody was saying different things. And Peter says those words, he says, You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And Jesus says, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. By the way, that rock wasn't Peter exactly. It was his confession. It was on Jesus Christ that that church would be built. And it's why we stand here today. It will be tested by fire. It will come towards us and that testing will take place. In 1 Corinthians 3, as we read here, those words, no one can lay that foundation other than the one that is there, namely in the name of Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on a foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, the work of each will come to light for the day will disclose it. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. And if the work stands, that's someone built upon the foundation, that person will receive a wage. But if someone's work is burned up, that one will suffer loss and the person will be saved, but only as through fire. Who are we? We are God's fellow workers. We are God's field. We are God's building. In verses 16 through 17, it says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's who is living within you today if you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God Himself. The last verses, verses 18 through 23, bring us to the truth. And he reminds them that you are of Christ. You are Christ's. Dear Corinthians, you are Christ's dear people. You and me here today. He starts out by talking about if you want to really be wise, don't follow the world's wisdom. You might have to be a fool in the eyes of the world to be wise. And we talked about wisdom last week quite a bit. We need that wisdom in Christ. If you think you're wise by the world standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. <laughs> to be genuine. To be genuine. Are we a genuine church? Are we genuine in our Christianity? Are we genuine in Christ? <laughs> there was a, a dog food company and their latest product wasn't selling very well. So the president called a board meeting to discuss why. And the advertisement department said the ads were great. They're going full speed ahead. The research and development team said the product was designed to sell with the latest of technology. And the president of the company, though, he wanted to know why then the dog food was not selling if everything was so great. And one manager timidly stood up and he said, it's those stupid dogs, sir. Sir, they won't touch the stuff. We need to be genuine. We need to give the genuine stuff. And God's Word then can do its work. And in verses 21 through 23, He reminds them that all things are yours. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All these are yours. And you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. What did Christ do for us? Christ went to the cross came to this world and He lived that perfect holy life. He provided the way that we couldn't do. And that's really what God has Paul bringing them to again. You are of Christ. Remember what Christ did. Trust in Him. And in Him alone. I think you've caught that almost every song we've sang today has used that phrase. In Christ alone. May we respond to that not by going, oh yeah, again, I guess we have to do this. (laughs) But may we respond in such a way and say, Lord, I love You because You love me. You know what the greatest song ever written was, don't you? Well, we might differ on some things, but Jesus loves me, this I know. Because Joel Rasmussen told me so. Joel, you've told me that before and it's good. But you got it from the Word of God, didn't you? And that's where it tells us. It's there for you and me. No matter who we are, He can bring that new life. And it's the new life that can be brought not only to each of us individually, but then as we go forward as a church as well only in Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you that it's you that we rely upon. Do that work in our lives and remind us that we're mere people, but then remind us that in you we have life and only in you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus, and again, do the work. Holy Spirit, use these things. Draw us again unto Yourself, I pray.